raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favourite things. Well, in the last episode of Favourites, Normie Rowe had some lovely things to say about Mike Brady, and Mike Brady is this week's guest. I wonder if he'll say nice things about Normie Rowe. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Hello, Simon. I can be coerced. <laughs> um, now, f- before we get on to anything else, I should have introduced you properly. Michael Brady AM. When did when did that one happen? Oh, years ago. Yeah. Um, I forget what year. Um it was a long time ago, though, um, 2000 and – well, I, I made it in the year, which was a big honour. Yeah. Um, and that was afterwards. Uh, without digging it out, I can't tell you, but it was it was in the uh, – two, about 2014. Yeah. Um, but what an honour to get that. I was thrilled to bits. Um, and that would be uh, usually that it sort of covers a, a few things. So would have been services to football, services to jingle writing, services to rock and roll, services to uh, to charity. Because you were with Variety and other things like that. You do charity. Oh, work, I was on so. the board of a lot of charities. Yeah, but community community services. Yeah, it was. Um, but can I tell you a really funny thing? We had a little bit of a celebration down here on. Um, on the weekend of the Queen's birthday, not wasn't we didn't celebrate the Queen's birthday, we were celebrating um, <clears throat> me getting this award. And I had my family here, and my my sister brought a little plastic tiara that was like a child's tiara. So I wore that during our lunch, and we ran out of something. So I went round to the local <clears throat> general store, and I ran into Terry Brax, and she looked at me strangely, said, "Mike." Do you realise you're wearing a tiara? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise. It felt like my sunglasses on my head. Oh. So on the day that it was announced that I'd won OAM or AM as it was, um, I was walking around with a tiara and I got sprung. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> now let's uh, let's go right back to the start. Uh, young Mike Brady, born and raised in England somewhere. What what part of England was it? South London, yes. in a town called Croydon, which is very different now. It's part of Greater London, whereas in those days it was a little town, um, and now it's big high rises and the whole demographic has changed. Yeah. Um, that's where uh, that's where I grew up um, in in England. Spent some time in Ireland, though, as a baby because my dad was from Dublin. So when I was born, we went to uh, went to Ireland. Then we wanted to come to Australia, but I had tuberculosis and oh. we had to wait until I was well enough, and that was quite a few years. So I went to school in England and came to Australia in 1959 when I was 11, a little, little tacker. What, what does tuberculosis feel like to a kid? I've, I've, I've heard of it, obviously, but don't know actually how it affects one. Well, I was pretty young, but you know what? I still really remember. But I remember the coldness because the treatment for tuberculosis was fresh air. And my mum and dad worked. My dad was in the army. He was away a lot. And uh, my grandfather had it and he was very ill and we were in the same room and I was in a cot under the window in a little suit, like a little padded suit and um, I remember how cold I was. Mm. My hands, I had gloves on but 
all day. They'd get back in the dark, and that's where I was. And, look, I survived it, Simon. A lot of people didn't. It was a terrible scourge, and um, he didn't. He certainly didn't. But I remember all of that, and I was very, very young. Does it affect the voice at all? Like, you've got a rather husky voice. Would that be as a result of tuberculosis or and you know, breathing in that cold air or no? No, probably too no. much scotch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I gargle with it. No, um, <clears throat> I don't think so. It's um, But, of course, I, I was challenged for a while with um, bronchial uh, issues, but I don't have that at all. I don't have any bronchial issues now. I think I was one of the lucky ones. But I've been pulled up when I've had x-rays because they find a shadow on my lung. Ah, yes. Of course, they think that the worst of that, or they, well, the doctors don't, but people do. But um, in, in actual fact, it's a scarring from when I when I had it when I was young. And, you know, I've become, a, I'm a big strapping bloke and, you know, I'm still reasonably fit and I've done lots of exercise all my life. And um, I've been, I think uh, I'm very lucky that I've had a, a long and, um, and um, interesting life, yeah. Well, you, you can still hit those high notes. So, do you do you do vocal exercises? Because you know, as as one gets older, sometimes mm. the uh, the voice doesn't quite manage to stay where it once was. But you can still hit those high notes in up there, Kazali. I know that. Oh, look! I hear a few high notes in a lot of different songs. But look, the the interesting thing is that. I'm still fairly strong in the upper body. I've always done a lot of upper body exercise. And in a lot of cases, when men's voices become a little bit like this as they get older, it's it's uh, it can be, not always, but it can be a lack of strength in the upper body. Right. Um, I've always worked on the upper body because I want to keep singing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of singers I know, but it's practice, and I do practice. And, you know, at the moment, <clears throat> this time of year, I don't sing as much. And I can feel it in my voice. Is that right? Um, yeah, I can feel it when I haven't sung for a while. But I do often at home here walk around singing, you know, a, a C or a D in full voice. And <laughs> of your musician uh, li- listeners would, would know that that's pretty high. Trouble is it carries about four or 500 metres and all the neighbours yeah. hear me singing, you know, like Pavarotti. Well, like Pavarotti, you know, <laughs> a Bradyotti. Um, they all sit there going, that mad neighbour's at it again. Oh, yes, they throw stones at the roof, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so England, Ireland, uh, landing in Australia at the age of 11. Uh, first thoughts when you hit Australia? Um, I arrived in Port Melbourne on what I think was the coldest uh, July day on record at approximately 2.35 on July the 5th, 1959, pouring with rain. It was coming sideways. Um, and the the stench of Port Melbourne, the wind was coming just the right way from the west. So the smell of abattoirs, the swallow and aerial biscuit factory, which was yes. lovely with the abattoirs, the smell of the Port Melbourne tip burning, which burnt for 30 years. I went into a deep state of depression. I was expecting kangaroos instead of dogs and budgerigars instead of sparrows, and uh, I wasn't really very impressed. And briquettes, the smell, that acrid <laughs> smell of briquettes burning. Um, in those days, you know, great polluters they were. 
um, I was pretty disillusioned. They shipped us off to the exhibition buildings, yeah, um, and that's where the staging hostel was. So I lived, or we lived, for the first three or four weeks until they found what to do with us in the exhibition buildings. And uh, school, because that's sort of middle primary school years. It would have been hard to adjust. Did you get teased for being a POM? Oh, yeah, but that wasn't so bad. What was difficult was to find a school because I wasn't very bright. And um, <laughs> I failed my 11 plus probably with a record low, store, low score. It would have been a minus if you could get one. They had to see when you were 11, 11 in England and that's when they separated the wool from the chaff and uh, I was the chaff. Um, <laughs> but uh, I went to Australia instead. But I wasn't very, very good. wasn't very good at all all school things yeah. um, and um, so school, it was difficult there's a letter that uh, Noel Delbridge in his book up there Mike Brady which was a biography of my life that he printed from my auntie Chris and she wrote the letter and said, it said dear Bessie that was my mum said dear Bessie um, I know you don't like Australia much but you never know one day you may be able to come back it was like going to the moon in those days yeah um, yeah, about Michael, um, don't worry about him. He is a good boy. What they lack in intellect, which is how <laughs> sexy was, which they didn't know about, um, what they lack in intellect, they sometimes and often make up for in other things. Oh, well, there you so, go. Yeah, yeah. She was right. <laughs> it turned out, well, she was the only person in our family who'd ever been to university yeah. or even secondary school for that matter. Wow. She was a woman. Yeah, that was, she was a pioneer, really. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Um, mm. Now, had you uh, by the time you arrived in Australia, had you picked up a guitar? Had you discovered your love of music uh, before or after you arrived? I discovered my love of music by watching Ready Steady Go on um, BBC. Or it might have been ITV in England, and I sang along with all the songs. And I dreamt that one day I might be able to sing. And you know, yeah. when you're young, you don't know any better. You think you're a lot, when you once you get in the shower, you could be anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing so what a bit of reverb can do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. um, so I sang and sang, but on the market hostel, the boys um, and girls sang in the wash houses at night. There was very little to do on Fisherman's Bend Market Hostel, and. Um, <clears throat> But the girls would stand up one end and they'd sing a song with harmonies and the boys would stand up the other one, other end and some of them had guitars. And a couple of my mates, Patrick Formston and Jimmy Taylor, had a guitar and I learnt a few chords from them and bought my own guitar by selling heralds outside the town hall in Swanson Street when I was 12. Oh, that's, that's wonderful! One, yeah. What a, what a wonderful uh, a picture that paints as well. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know, the old Herald boys out there, you know, calling out to sell the papers. Herald, Papa, Herald was my call. Yeah. We all had our own call, you know. Now, and the Barry Jones used to remember the quiz champion. Yeah, yeah. He uh, always used to buy a Herald off me every night. I don't know where he came from, but he'd always give me a penny tip. Oh, what a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the I think the Herald was thrippence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Now, so from there, do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Yeah, the first song, I don't remember it, but I wrote three songs and we recorded them at Crest Recording Studios in Caulfield. And I was trying to think, the first one I remember was a song called I Won't Be Back and Bobby and Laurie recorded it. Yeah. Um, very early in the piece, I was probably only about 14 or 15, and Bobby and Laurie recorded it and it was on their album on the back of one of their singles. Wow. I won't be back. I was always writing these bitter, bitter stories in song. How, how do, <laughs> I don't know why. I wasn't bitter about anything. <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard this story before. How, how does a 14-year-old get a song recorded by Bobby and Laurie? Um, I was playing in a band and they somehow we became, we were called the Hearstmen. <laughs> and That's Bobby a great and Laurie name. used to do a thing with a with a coffin, and Laurie, who sometimes because he was he was a very pale man, he looked like a cadaver, so he <laughs> would climb out of the coffin on stage. Sometimes we'd have to borrow the coffin, um, which was marked for somebody else. But anyway, um, we um, we backed them, and they were just taking off, and their manager. Um, asked if I had any songs, and I did, and they recorded that one and one other one, I think, too. I forget what that was called. Wow. I never saw any royalties, but, you know, that's the way it was in those days. It was an honorary profession. Yeah. How, how, did, how did you feel then at 14 having a having a, a, a song sung by, you know, by professionals and, and pressed onto a, onto vinyl? That's That's really, that's a huge thing, I would have thought. Well, things were moving very quickly, and I'll tell you what my biggest thrill was, bigger than that, that was a thrill, but my biggest thrill was hearing Stan Rofe and other um, disc jockeys um, doing, like I'd be getting ready on a Friday night to go out and play somewhere, and Friday night they'd have all the ads of the dancers and and with, you know, um, with uh, Bobby and Laurie, Mike Brady, (laughs) Colin Cook, all these great, you know, uh, Robbie G, all these great um, names, and they put my name in there for Malvern Town Hall and Heathsvale yeah. um, Rock Dance, and that was fantastic hearing my name on the radio. Yeah. Boy, oh, boy, I thought, oh, I've made it. <laughs> it. It's fabulous, isn't it? As, as a kid, I used to write into the 3KZ Request Show, and when they'd read out my letter, you, you know, that, that whole you know 20 seconds in which they'd read out the letter, that was all about me, and it was just so addictive. <laughs> it was funny, you know. Looking back, it was funny, but it was lovely and it was innocent too. You know, we hardly get. It. I remember my first pay, real paycheck was I joined a band called the Phantoms, and Bruce Stewart, who's still around these days, a great broadcaster, and and he ran a thing at Festival Hall every Sunday, and he'd get up to ten thousand kids every Sunday. Anyway. I used to go there as a punter and stay in the audience with my mates. But in one week, I joined the Phantoms and they were all looking to see where I was and they didn't know I was coming out. And I walked out on stage and I could see saying, what's he doing up there? What's he doing? At the end of the end of the show, Bruce came up and gave me 12 pounds, five shillings, which was huge. My dad was earning 17 pounds a week. Wow. To put it in. And I only played for 20 minutes, 
So I went out and I bought my mum a toaster. Oh, nice. Electric frying pan. This is what you could buy with that. And something else. I forget what it was. Um, Anyway, that was my first. So not only did I get to play in front of all the girls, um, and that changed my fortunes with the girls, I might add, playing in the band, but it changed my uh, financial situation. So. It was a it was a great thrill. Um, yeah. Look at you as the doting son buying a toaster for his mum. That's beautiful. <laughs> what did what did your mum say when you presented her with the toaster? She would have been thrilled. Oh, I think she cried. Oh, that's so cute. Because we were living on a migrant hostel at the time, and we we didn't really have much. Um, we didn't feel well. Certainly, the kids didn't feel that we were poor, but we were pretty poor. Yeah, um, and. Uh, but look, having I look back on those as wonderful times, as real um, career and life shaping times, um, and it took me a while to like Australia. I have to say, yeah, um, I found living in Port Melbourne in those days was a very tough suburb, and um, you had to be very careful walking around with the guitar. Um, yeah, there are lots of tough suburbs in Australia, Richmond, in Melbourne, the the rocks in Sydney. And all those places, but um, playing music was not conducive to having a straight nose. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were one of those sissy musicians, were you? That uh, yeah, an easy I target. Myself a bit, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> my dad was a boxer and he taught me to box. Oh, that's handy. And, uh, yeah, and I'd done some martial arts too, so. Yeah, um, which is good. Other, otherwise, you may have lost the guitar at some point. Well, the thing, the real clincher was I was a very good runner, very fast runner, and I could run from the best of fights. <laughs> well, a bloke called me a coward once when I was in Broken Hill, and I stopped in my tracks, and he shouldn't have done that because he was right. I was a coward. I was running away, so I walked into the road, and uh, unfortunately um, for him, um, I was a little bit better than he imagined yeah. in my pink shirt. <laughs> um, now, so MPD Limited, uh, up there, Kazali, um, uh, all all of those uh, the jingles, those wonderful jingles you've written. My favourite, uh, Lucky You're with Amy, but the <laughs> SPC baked beans and spaghetti, the the one you did for the Navy, uh, an incredible body of work that Mike Brady has uh, amassed over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, is is there a particular highlight? Uh, like up, up there, Kazali. Is clearly you know the the, the biggest if uh, if we were to crown yeah. one thing as being the thing that Mike Brady is best known for, but is it yeah. the, is it the greatest thing that you feel you've done, or does it get a bit old and you go, oh, I, I, I've got other stuff too, people? Um, that, that's a really good question because um, the ones that have lasted a long time, like Hard Yakka, yep. which is still used to this day, that's. 50-something years now. Um, uh, so I still like that. That's um, a, you yeah. know, that's that's up there with Mr Sheen and uh, and Vegemite. Oh, well, it's kind of, it is now because it's been around such a long time. But it's um, the ones that I like the most are the ones that stayed around. But I do like the Navy one because the line in the Navy one, which I never thought they'd buy, and I wrote that with uh, an advertising mate of mine, Bill Shannon, and his his line was, you're the pride of the fleet, which is a very good line. Yeah. Um, 
but I I wrote the line, you'll be wet, you'll be homesick and frightened. And I never thought they'd buy that. But to their absolute credit, the Navy people thought that was very honest and it was very good. And it was incredibly successful, that line. Yeah. Um, which says a lot about Australian psyche, I think. You know, where do I go to become uh, wet, homesick and frightened? Where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about rising to a challenge, isn't it? It's, it's, it's great. It's, it is. And it was very honest. And you could do a lot more. These days, people research and research and research. And I don't know whether there's as many um, clever uh, uh, strategies and creative executions around these days because the clients are all experts or the, or the big accounting firms have got their own advertising agencies. In those days, <clears throat> they were just brilliant people and you had people like Peter Carey and Bryce Courtney, both of whom I <clears throat> worked with a little bit, um, <clears throat> who went on to write absolute world wide bestsellers and mm. that's the sort of people they had. Brett, I think Brett White, he had a stint in advertising. I could be wrong there, but, you know, it was a industry <clears throat> that bred a lot of clear thinking, creative people. And, um, and it was, a, it was so exciting to work in that. Now you're, you're doing a show with Normie Rowe, which we'll uh, chat about in a moment, but last week I spoke to Normie and, uh-huh. Uh, he said that his favourite thing that you've done is a song called Father and Son. Tell me about that song because it's not one I'm familiar with, I must admit. Oh, well, I haven't recorded it yet. I, I've done it live a few times. I like to play songs live until, you know, um, I think I'm ready to record them. But it's a song about my son who <clears throat> wrote a book, my youngest, and the story is um, um, the the. the the first line is, there was a man I hardly knew who made my mum his wife. He didn't have a lot of um, to say about his troubled life. Um, and it goes on to say that um, that in my time with him, and I didn't get on very well with my father at all, he was very damaged from his stint in the Second World War. And Michael, my um, youngest son, wrote a story about him and showed it to me, and that basically was him introducing my father to me, who I finally understood. So I wrote that, and the song's called My Son Introduced Me to My Dad. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's quite a moving song, you know. I do it, uh, I did it in some shows before Christmas, and it was people were asking, is there a record? So I will record it. I'm going to record this year yeah. uh, again. I don't know why because the last one went putty. This one might <laughs> go cardboard if I'm lucky. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's pretty hard for Australians now to sell records. Um, there was an article in the paper a couple of weeks ago by Paul Cashmere, who's quite a well-known yes, um, music writer for, for Noise yeah. 11, yes. Yes, and a very, very good supporter of Australian music, as are a lot, like, you know, Billy Pennell and people like that. But he <clears throat> pointed out that in the top 10 of the last three, in the top uh, uh, 40 of the last year, there were no Australian records at all. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, they've either come via America, and that's not good. That is really not good, and I'm afraid COVID has made that worse. Um, we now have been putting money into bringing overseas acts into Australia, calling it 
support for the Australian music industry. Well, it's not. It's support for the American music industry, mm. and that's all the money now goes pretty well into people will pay three, dollars $400 for a seat to go and see a big name that the government is subsidising, and not all of them, but quite a few of them, and they won't put, you know, 40 or $50 in to go and see a local act. So that, those Halsian days where the top 40 was 50% Australian and 50% overseas, the days, the Halsian days of Normie and of me with MP, MPD are well behind us. <clears throat> but we're still out tramping the boards. Uh, we can't really complain about it because that's just change, and change does happen. I just wish the government would wake up and understand that we do need our own music industry, and it just can't be old blokes like me. It's got to be young people and uh, and across the board types of music. It's I, I know that there was. Um there was an attempt to relaunch a, a countdown type show uh, a few years back and it didn't really take off. But I, I really think we have a government broadcaster, the ABC, for a reason, and that should be to promote all things Australian. Uh, mm. And I, I really think it would be great if there was a, you know, it, whether, whether it pulls a, a big audience or not, I think there should be something uh, that the ABC should do that promotes uh, Australian music talent um, mm. for those exact reasons. As you say, the problem with social media and the like is that all of our stuff that, uh, that, you know, that, that gets great likes usually comes out of other countries with larger populations. And uh, and so yeah, kids don't kids sit and stare at their phones now. They don't they don't uh, go and see live acts and stuff. No. Yeah, so it's it's no. it's sort of a self fulfilling thing. We we just flood ourselves with American stuff, and and uh, and as a result, our stuff suffers. Well, look, um, the, you are right, and the ABC do. Um, they're probably one of our better supporters, but they can't do it themselves. They need across-the-board support. We need a quota system. We need to bring back a quota. But, you know, a lot of that quota that there that there is is taken up by golden oldies, you know, mm. gold formats where kids are listening to music from 40, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, it's not um, – you know, you've got, you've got some of the great community stations. AW play um, – AW is not a music station, but they play new music. They've supported, in, in my years at AW, we played lots of new music. Yeah, I, um, I, I do a weekly thing on my show where I, yeah. I called um, uh, Simon Selection and I play new music by Australian artists. And well, I, you I, did it since you took over. Yeah, you yeah. took over Saturday nights. I, I, I love you for it. You know, well, in a man love type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> in Man, a very manly way, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. I, I, I think there should be a quota system for, uh, and there, there probably is, but I think it needs to be increased for for Fox, Kiss, and Nova, who are playing the younger music. They they should be required to play like one third of all music should be Australian music. Mm. Yeah, most Australian acts though have to crack it in America, and they're they're you know bands like the Teskey Brothers who. Billy and I started playing very early in the yes, piece yes. of their career. Um, they've done it without going to America, but most people have to go to America and sign an American record deal. Mm. Um, it's not as easy as it used to be. Uh, it was never easy, really, but it's not. It's it's, it's less easy. 
yeah. now. And uh, those days when there was a da- – there's a bloke called Murray Walding and he's got this wonderful book called The Last Dance and it's about all the met venues, rock venues in Melbourne yes. over a period. And it's just a wonderful book. He's got a, he's got a guide now to it. And when you look at it, every corner had a, a venue on it. Um, and Melbourne was a great music town yeah. even before rock and roll in the jazz era. Melbourne was like a mini New Orleans. Yeah. Um, from the bigger city. Philip, Philip and I spoke to Murray on the uh, on Remember When a few weeks oh, back about his book. So, yeah, it's a great book, isn't it? Yes. It's a great book to have. I have it on my kitchen table and I flick through it all the time and we're actually – I'm not preempting. We're actually going to do something together in the next few weeks. We're talking about it, about doing something, a little project together. But, you know, they were wonderful days and innocent days where people could go and you could get a lemon squash or an orange squash a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. <laughs> no drugs, no no alcohol. No, they test your tea. They do they do tea testing. <laughs> Make sure it was strong enough. Wonderful. Uh, now, now, Mike, we should get into some of these favourites, uh, given that's the the name of the the, the spot favourites. Uh, so, I have here on my on my page, I've got fifty things that you might have favourites of. I don't ask all of them. I, I just randomly pointed. I, I close my eyes, point at the uh, pa- piece of paper, and then ask you your favourite, whatever it is. Uh, favourite sporting moment. Favourite sporting moment, Kathy Freeman. Oh, that's a ripper. The gold. Yeah, that is fantastic. For her and for her people and for Australia. Yep. Uh, Favourite magazine? Uh, well, I can't. I'll, 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 I, I used to love, I used to love, this is terrible, pics and posts yes. and people. Now I get, um, uh, uh, now I get um, the, the scientific monthly. <laughs> <laughs> I've become really old. No, no. I get uh, – I do – I like the magazine, so I, I, I say Scientific Monthly is my favourite magazine at the moment. Well, you, you mentioned Post. I used to love that for uh, – well, there was always, you know, some quite attractive women in it as well. But as, aside from that, if you, got, if you got deep into the Post magazine, there were always articles there on really interesting Aussies. Uh, you know, in, in who live in outback towns, and there'd be a story about a guy who does artwork on corrugated iron and stuff like that. And I always found those stories and those people fascinating. I used to look look forward to reading that. Well, the Etamoga Pub, and, yes, the cartoon, um, yes, and Ned and his Neddy, and all those things came from those magazines, and they were quintessentially Australian humour. Um, we, uh, I think, we have now become. Yeah, the 52nd state of America, really, uh, from the get-go. Yeah. And when you dig deep and unpack, because we use all American jargon, you know, all that stuff, we used to use our own jargon, but we don't anymore. We talk like Americans. No, we, we, there's the, the Paul Hogan's and Paul Cronin's of the world are sort of few and far between now, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, even our politicians can't get it right. I think um, what did... What it, um, what did Kevin Rudd say? Fair suck of the sauce bottle. Um, I think he meant fair suck of the Savaloy. Yeah. Um, and uh, and um, Daniel Andrews, who said, we're going to go out and we're going to get on the beers. 
Yeah, beers isn't the yeah yeah beers isn't the right word to put at the end of that sentence. No, and the other one was another Kevin Rudd beauty, which I think shaped the the election, his election future was when he used not to be specific, but he used the word specificity. Yes, a detailed programmatic specificity or something. It was like that, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, like I think um, a lot of people thought, oh, a word. Probably that starts with a W, but uh, that's how we are. <laughs> We've got a healthy disregard for our authority in Australia. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Mike Brady, favourite author? Um, well, I he's an Englishman, but I loved his depth. He hasn't been around for a long time, but there's a young man I loved, Neville Shute, who's famous for writing On the Beach yep. and a, a town like Alice and In the Wet. He wrote, as an Englishman and an inventor in the First World War, he invented things like the tank, um, or he's oh, one wow. of the inventors. But he was—he became an Australian, a proud Australian, but he wrote these mysterious, almost spiritual novels. Now, you know, I've, I've got lots and lots of, um, of, of books that I've got, but I think the one that the one that I said that I was an absolute fan of was Neville Shute. Lovely. Uh, Favourite clothing item? Oh, it's got to be my crazy shirts. Yeah, <laughs> I love my mad David Smith shirts. Um, I wear them whenever I can, and I'm starting a thing called the Society for the Prevention. Of the Mike Brady Society for the Prevention of Old Blokes Wearing Boring Shirts. <laughs> well, to- Tom Elliott can be signed up to uh, to help you out with the promotion for it, I think. And the Grubby Man. Yeah, Grubby as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they're, both, they're both members. I'll be members. Uh, Favourite hot drink? Favourite hot drink? Chamomile tea. Yeah, that's not very rock and roll. No, it's not. But it's really calming and soothing. And, um, yeah, chamomile tea. I drink more chamomile tea. But, you know, coffee. I love good coffee. And uh, I um, I have a, a good coffee machine. And I probably drink far too much of it. But every week you re- read a different thing about a coffee. One week is bad for you. The next week week it's good for you. It's yeah. like fat. Yeah, like fat, like eggs, like uh, um, like everything. Um, and last last one for favourites, favourite beach. That should be a good one for you. Well, where I live, there are a number of favourites, but my favourite beach in Australia, um, I live on the west coast, you know, near Wye River, and it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, last night I went for a walk in the humidity and the spitting rain, and there... On the beach, there was no one else but me doing my walk. Was this beautiful young woman? And I didn't speak to her. I think I just had like, I thought, wow, there's nowhere in the world where you've got these deserted beaches so close to cities and all that stuff. So, mm. yeah, the beaches around the west coast of Victoria and, and of course, the 90 mile beach in Gippsland. But my favorite beach over all of them in Australia is Whitehaven. In the Whit Sundays, where it's white silica sand, yes, and it is absolutely 
superb Stunning. if you discount the sandflies. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yes, to pack the air guard. Um, now, Mike, uh, you are performing with Normie Rowe. You've got a gig coming up at uh, the Dandenong Club on the Green, one five seven nine Heatherton Road, Dandenong. It is on Sunday, the eighteenth of February, uh, and it's a, an afternoon thing, which is which is great because is. You, you can you can go and see the gig and then hang around and have dinner or uh, or have have lunch and then see the gig. So it, it's sort of open ended, or do all three: lunch, gig, dinner, and make a real day of it. <laughs> Um, and Got now, an ambulance to get home. Now, how long have you known Normie Rowe for? Well, I've known him really probably since I was 14, and he's a lot, lot older than me, about two weeks. <laughs> 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 I remind him of that all the time. And we've been mates all that time. When he was in London, you know, trying to crack the British scene, I was there with MPD, and he, I stayed with my auntie Chris, and he stayed in a beautiful apartment in Harley Street in the middle of London, so he used to stay there. And we've been mates ever since. Um, we drift apart, we come together like mates do, you know, and um, probably when we were younger, in some ways we might have been competitive, but he was huge, such a big star. And uh, we, were, we were good mates, and we still are, and now I suppose the elements of our ego have calmed down a little bit. <laughs> Uh, me included, I'm looking at Normie, but you know, we, we had a pretty good run, <clears throat> and um, and it's wonderful to work with him because we tell a few stories, and we were both there for those stories. And <clears throat> of course, uh, he is still singing up a storm, as you probably know. Yes. He's got so I sing a medley of my greatest hit, he sings a medley <laughs> of his greatest hits, um, but um, he uh, he's done a few, he does quite a few shows with other people, and we've done a couple in the last few years, and they've gone very well, so we're going to do some more. That's our New Year's resolution. We're going to do some more shows together. And the bookings are going quite well. I think there's a number which I don't have in front of me. Yeah, I've, I've got uh, that, but yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, it's, 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 the bookings are going well at the moment, and I really can't wait. It'll be good, lovely band and good players and – um, it'll be it'll be good fun. A lot. Everybody will know the songs, both old and new. Yes, um, they'll all know them. So it'll turn, I reckon, into a bit of a sing along in parts. <laughs> but uh, Normie's a great act. You know, he's funny and he tells great stories. And uh, uh, we we kind of we we fit pretty well together. I think. When uh, Billy Joel and Elton John toured, they sort of did, you know, uh, Elton would sing a couple of his songs, Billy would sing a couple of his songs, then they'd sing a song or two together, and then they'd sing one of each other's songs. Is it a similar sort of format to that? Yes, yes, it is. The last one we did, we're still talking about the format at the moment because we've got, a, a, I think, a month to go now or five weeks or four weeks or something like that. Um <clears throat> Yes, we, we did that last time. We might do a little bit solo each this time and we'll certainly do plenty together. I've got to learn Normie songs, then I've got to learn not to sing the lead part. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Glenn Shorrock getting really snaky with me once because we were doing um, Cool Change and I was singing all the lead parts. <laughs> <laughs> And he wasn't happy about it. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, 
Well, I, I, I hope I hope one of the songs um, that you will perform from your catalogue, which well, you you say you you, you, you that's a lovely joke. You do a medley of your of your hit, but uh, you you have done some brilliant songs over the years. I, the Mistress is one of my favourite songs of all time. Um, the Otway Light from your uh, Bloodlines album is just a divine piece of music and uh, and songwriting and paints a beautiful picture. So I hope uh, I hope you get some of those songs in there. And I also, and, and I know this sounds a bit sort of flippant and silly, but two of the greatest things I, that I think you've ever done are the Amy jingle, which should be a full three-minute song, and <laughs> and and also um, the your Melbourne Cup song that, that Tuesday in November. That that is just every year when Melbourne Cup comes around, I, I trot that out and and belt it out because it's such a great piece of music. People really like it. I. I know things move on, but it surprised me that they dropped it. I was doing it every year for quite a few years, but I was always up on the roof um, out of the way and the audience didn't know where I was. I always thought it should be part of the entertainment. It's my favourite song yeah. of, of the things I've written. Is that right? Because it's a, it's a jig. It's like an Irish jig. And, um, and I think uh, – it hasn't. I still think it's got legs. Oh, I, I do too. And I, I think the VRC or whatever they're called should, yeah, the, the AFL, if, if ever they dropped up there, because they'd be they'd be wiped off the face of the earth by angry people. <laughs> and, and I think that we, we should mount a campaign to the VRC to, uh, to get uh, that Tuesday in November in there every year. Yeah, I think it's, re- it's so relevant to the, the day and it's so traditional now because it's been 50... Odd years, um, very odd years, but 50, 50 years. So, so there's a bit of heritage to well, do with the song as well. Well, yeah. a, bit, a bit of homework for you. Why, why not make it a, a, the – what is it when there's four or something, a quadrilla or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why, why not go for the quad and uh, let's let's get Mike Brady to write a, a, a um, an Australian Open song and a Grand Prix song? <laughs> well, I wrote the Grand Prix song. I wrote oh, you that did. for the very first year. Ah. And the song was called – what a great place. And the line was, what a great place for the race. And, of course, in me and my um, <clears throat> uh, word blindness, I did a version of it and I said, what a great race. And the advertising guy said, it's nothing to do with race. <laughs> <laughs> what a great race. But I did the, uh, what a great place, great place, great place for the race was the uh, was the um, – the launch of the Grand Prix in Melbourne. Oh, well, there we go. So th- th- all you've got to do is a, uh, a an Australian Open song now and we're set. Yes, maybe a cricket one too, but there's plenty of cricket ones. Yeah. So I wrote The Whole World's Playing Tennis. Yeah, I okay. Seven, yeah. Uh, many years ago, and that's, that's been back a few times. But, you know, now they just play bits of rock songs and, and uh, yeah, look, it's, things change. Yeah. That's the way it is. I've had a good run. Can't complain. No, well, again, that um, that gig with yourself and Normie Rowe, two great uh, characters, two uh, icons, uh, two just lovely guys as well. Uh, please uh, get uh, tickets if you can. 97921963 is the uh, number to call. 97921963. Uh, doors open at 1pm. The show is 2.30pm, Sunday the 18th of February at the Dandenong Club on the Green. It will be a great day, no doubt. Thank you, Graham. And we're going to try it Graham. What did I say Graham for? 
Thank you, Owen. I don't know. Who's, Graham who, Owen. Who's Graham? Graham, Graham Owen. Owen. I know what I did then. Graham Owens was a recording engineer. Yeah. Who worked with me at this very, very strange. Graham. Well, Sorry, you Simon. You know I love you. No, that's all right. No. <laughs> um, but we're going to try very hard to prove on that day that you can't have too much fun. Oh, wonderful. What a, a great way to finish. <laughs> uh, Mike, thank you for a lovely chat as always. Uh, it, it's always a delight chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you, um, uh, Simon. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Um, but uh, um, keep the good work up, mate. I love the program. And uh, you're a very, very, very worthy successor to me and uh, you're a very, very good broadcaster. I love listening to you, mate. Well, that's very kind indeed. And uh, and I, I wouldn't have taken the gig without your uh, approval. When I uh, when I was offered the gig, I said, no, Mike does Saturdays. And uh, and so I, I rang you and said, look, here, here's the thing. I've been offered this. And you said, well, take it, you fool. So, uh, yeah, so it, it was – it's it's an honour to have uh, replaced you in that sense uh, yes. or succeeded you, I think, is the – I don't know. I don't even know the right way to say it. But uh, I just but, didn't need you to be so good, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, thank you for your support. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's wonderful. Thank you, Simon. Good on you, Mike. That is Mike Brady.